Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the day. We thank you so much for the gift of your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to us and remind us of the words of your Son, that you would be a peace and a comfort to us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, first of all, it's really great to be back. Janie and I have been out for the last couple of weeks, and so we've really missed being with uh, you all. So I just wanted to uh, publicly thank Kevin for doing everything that he did in my absence. So be sure to uh, thank him as well. Um, But it is so good to be back and seeing you. We have been spending the last couple of weeks resting. So if you want to know anything about rest, come talk to me or Janie because we are now experts on the subject. Well, this uh, evening, I want to start out with a little bit of an experiment or exercise. might be a little strange. Um, You've probably done something like this before, but I think going through this might prove a point better than I could uh, do it with words. So I want to take a moment and invite you to think about Something that is worrying you this evening. Doesn't have to be everything. It could be one or two things. It could be many things. Now, as at least you get one of those things in your mind, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and do what's so hard to do. First, I want you to relax your shoulders. Let them fall. Now think about your knees and your legs and your feet. Relax them. Take a deep breath. Think about the tension in your chest and let it out. Now pay attention to your hands. Are they clenched into fists? Are they tense? Relax your hands. I want you to open your eyes. Now I'm guessing that you have a similar experience to me and you've noticed how difficult it can be to relax. It's because we carry our anxiety around us as an invisible sack over our shoulders. And sometimes our worries are big worries, significant worries. Sometimes they're just a million little trifles. What worries you today is actually the tip of a massive iceberg. And this is the stress that leads to health problems and heart attacks like they always tell us. And we walk around tense, sometimes with clenched fists, without even noticing it. And as I said before, I should know. Because after spending the last two weeks trying to learn how to relax and to rest, I'm now able and ready to share my sage wisdom and insight with you. Because like I said, I'm an expert. Well, this is not... True, as a matter of fact, the truth is that an ounce of rest often acknowledges or exposes the iceberg underneath the things that I'm constantly worrying about. 
Rest sometimes gives the opposite effect. It makes me realize how much anxiety I actually carry around with me. And after resting, it's just amazing how quickly you can run back and rush into old habits of self-reliance and frantic worry. So I have a long way to go. Well, this week we wrap up our uh, series in the book of Philippians. We've been off of it for the last couple weeks. But we spent the latter half of September looking at St. Paul's epistle to the Philippian church. And thinking about the ways that we bring our anxiety into the community of Christ's church together. And we've seen that we are faced with many concerns that threaten our unity in the gospel. We've seen that we are defeated by anxiety when we place our trust in anything other than Jesus Christ. And several weeks ago, we saw that the antidote or the medicine to anxiety is found at aiming upward where Christ is, putting our greatest concerns not in our circumstances, but in the heavenly reality of Christ's resurrection. And this week, we'll see that a life cultivated in prayer is the path to joy and to peace, even in the midst of our most difficult circumstances. And chapter 4 begins with a peek into the Philippian church's challenges. I'll let you read the beginning of chapter 4. But as Paul has stated in previous chapters, that church is facing opposition. And it's an opposition that's sort of like the same opposition that Paul has been facing his whole ministry. And he's traveled well in front of them and suffering for the sake of the gospel. And now he's writing to them from prison likely awaiting his own execution. And he had heard that they were having understandable anxiety. And he's writing this letter to them. They've got a lot to learn about suffering for the sake of the gospel, and Paul continues to encourage them to follow his own example, which is facing opposition with joy. He admonishes them. Do not be anxious about anything, he says. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The first thing that we see here is that prayer is the medicine for anxiety. Prayer is the medicine for anxiety. Paul gives us an alternative to anxiety here, prayer and supplication. Now, I know what you're thinking. I think it too. It seems a little bit simplistic, doesn't it? Is Paul really saying that all my anxieties will just go away if I just say a prayer? Does that really work? Well, friends, if our prayers aren't working... I put that word in quotes, working, we need to stop and ask why. And here's what I want you to think about. Prayer does not work. Prayer does not work. Hear me out. I drive a 2006 Jeep Commander. It's got over 200,000 miles. Sometimes my truck works. 
Sometimes it doesn't. A couple of weeks ago, our washing machine went out. It stopped working. We have a new machine now, and it does work. You see, machines work. Systems work. Economies work. And on and on it goes. And if we find ourselves thinking about prayer using the word work, we're mistaking it for a machine or some kind of system. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is our relationship with God. Prayer is our intimacy with our Lord. That's what prayer is. And relationships, they don't work. Intimacy doesn't work. It's not the word we use to describe these things because they're not machines. They're love. They're not systems, but they're love. Love sacrifices. Love is not proud. It does not boast. And it's only when love fails that we say that a relationship is not working. Where there is no love, relationships become transactions between persons. And if our understanding of prayer is a transaction, that is, I pray, God gives, then we're making a transaction, we're thinking of this as a transaction, not engaging in a loving relationship. Paul isn't saying, hey, if you need some peace, just pay a prayer to God. No, Paul is thinking about a, he's not thinking about a transaction, but a life characterized by intimacy and trust in the very one who loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. So prayer doesn't work. That's not the way, the language that we use to describe prayer. But prayer is the medicine for our anxiety. The second thing we see is that intimacy grows over time. Intimacy grows over time. Just as our anxiety doesn't just pop up out of the middle of nowhere, it accumulates and it settles into our hearts and into our bodies. It's the same thing with a life of prayer. Prayer accumulates the very peace that passes understanding. St. Paul had to grow in this peace. We don't achieve this at the spiritual cash register when we're ready to cash in our prayers. That's why Paul says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice. Remember, this is a letter written toward the end of Paul's life. It's been a very long time since he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he can confidently say at this point that he is worthy of imitation. Even in the midst of threats, because he is well practiced. So how did St. Paul practice these things? Well, he tells us in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. So the third thing that we see is that the mind is the battlefield for peace. Our mind is the battlefield for peace. I always thought that worship was all about thinking great things about God. Everything that we do in worship, I thought, was about making sure that I had all the right knowledge, the correct knowledge, and the correct things to think about God. And that was the most important thing. So Anglican worship has actually been very refreshing to me because it calls us to use our entire bodies in worship. It's not just what I have in my mind. So God gave us hands, God gave us feet and voices and tongues, and we use them to bow, right, and to sing and to kneel and to eat. However, many people, especially many new Anglicans, make the mistake of thinking that this means that doctrine doesn't really matter. Not so, says St. Paul. What we think about matters. What we think about does matter. The more we dwell on untruth, the more anxious we become. The more we think about what is dishonorable or unjust or impure, the more anxious we become. This is why we engage in our own private prayer practices. Friends, Doctrine matters because truth matters. It matters. That's why God gave us the scriptures. He read the script. We read the scriptures and seek understanding because in them we find the words of eternal life. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We can only know who God is by reading his word. And that means that there are some things worth occupying our minds and other things that are not worth occupying our minds with. So let me give you an example of this. One of the greatest sources of anxiety, I think, can be a broken relationship. We can mull over personal conflict over and over in our minds, can't we? We start to replay hurtful comments that were spoken to us over and over. We engage in a little self-justification, right? As we think about all the events that have happened, we replay all of those events and create a narrative, don't we? Or, we realize that we are the ones that said the hurtful things. We are the ones that were hurtful to others. And then we're beaten up with guilt and shame. Friends, that's what we carry in our bodies with us. Those are the things that have us so tense and anxious all the time. That's what clenches our fists and knots our stomachs up. That's anxiety. And we carry that in our bodies, not just in our mind. St. Paul is saying those are not profitable things to dwell on. I remember seeing a therapist many years ago for anxiety. And it got so frustrating because all my therapist wanted me to think about and talk about were my thinking habits. 
how I was thinking. And it got frustrating. But looking back, I think St. Paul would have agreed with him. To be told to set my mind on things above can always be frustrating. Why? Because I want instant peace. I want a quick fix. But anxiety doesn't always go away overnight. It requires a complete trust in God, and that takes time. But Paul says that contentment is the goal. Contentment is the goal. Look at verse 11, or the second half of verse 11. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the fourth thing that we see is that contentment rules all circumstances. Contentment rules all circumstances. St. Paul has been saying that God will give you peace if you pray rather than worry. But again, his view is not transactional, it's relational. The goal is to seek such intimacy with Christ that we trust him despite our circumstances. This is what Paul was facing. This is how he is encouraging the Philippians. He's in prison, but he has joy. He's able to tell them, I know you're suffering, you're facing persecution and opposition, but there's joy to be had. You see, we have it in our heads that somehow God owes us an easier life. just because we have faith in him. And when we think this way, we'll often be disappointed in our prayer life because we're looking for that quick fix rather than the person of Jesus Christ himself. Back in chapter one, St. Paul had said, don't worry about me over here in prison. Actually, my imprisonment, all of the abuse, all the bad food or the lack of food and the cold or the heat, All of the awful conditions and ridicule and ill will hurled to me. All of my imprisonment is resulting in the salvation of many others. Paul had reason to rejoice. Now, isn't this just like Jesus? Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that God might take his cup from him. But he still went to the cross. We may pray that God would change our circumstances, but the intimacy Paul is calling us to is an intimacy that accepts the answer of that prayer, even when our circumstances remain unchanged. And that's something that Paul had to learn. And it's something that we must learn as well. And too often we allow our circumstances to rule our contentment, which does nothing but stir up anxiety within us. Instead, we're to look at contentment in times of lack as well as in time of abundance. And in this way, our contentment rules every circumstance that we face. And this was the example Paul set for us and for the Philippians. And it's the end to which we all aim as well.
So now I want you to remember those things that weighed you down at the beginning of this sermon. The things that you carried in here, the burdens and the anxieties, those things that worry you. And this week, I want you to practice what Paul modeled for the Philippians. Start with prayer. Every day this week, I want you to set some time aside for prayer. Vent to God. I find that journaling helps if that's your thing or if that's helpful to you. You may have your other practices, but share every emotion with God that you can. Imagine Jesus sitting there with you because he is. If you're mad at him, let him know. Let him know. And then I want you to do what Paul says. Make your requests known to him. What do you want him to do? Be specific. Is it to change your circumstances? Go ahead and ask him. If your circumstances change, that's great. Thank him for that. But if not, he may be inviting you to know him a little bit better. So kneel with him in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. Or stand with him in front of Pontius Pilate. Or gaze at him on the cross as he suffers. Suffer with Jesus. Remember his thorns, his blood. They're testimonies of his love for you. Circumstances that did not change for him. Now, the devil will try to convince you that God doesn't care about your concerns. But Christ's crucifixion on the cross tells a different story. So start with prayer. Next, renew your mind. Ask this question. Those things that you are bothered by, are they true? Are they true? Much of our anxiety comes from believing untruth. This person thinks this about me, right? Or if I don't meet that deadline, I'll probably lose my job. That pain in my head must be cancer and I'm going to die. As far as you know, none of that is true. And Paul says to dwell on what is true not on what isn't. That harsh word that was spoken to you, was it lovely or unlovely? All those words that you want to say to your enemy the next time you see them, are they noble? Then stop rehearsing them in your, in your head. Renew your mind. So start with prayer. Renew your mind. And finally, seek contentment above better circumstances. Seek contentment above better circumstances. Stop shopping around for a better situation. Stop shopping around for a better relationship or a better home or a better body. Yes, make your requests known to God. But in the meantime, seek the contentment that comes with the total trust in God's sacrificial love for you. He promised to comfort us even when circumstances are bleak. Now, I'm not saying that this is easy, and I don't think Paul is saying this is easy. But suffering takes practice because it takes time to know the one who suffered most for us.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for sending your son to suffer for us. Thank you for giving us the examples of St. Paul and the many others in our lives and throughout history who have patiently endured many, many trials and having to rely on the intimacy with you, the knowledge that eternal life has been purchased for us and having the same joy that Paul had to always be looking toward the resurrection, toward life with you, seeing you face to face. And give us that hope. Give us that joy. Give us that love that we might be a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world and age. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.